Um, hey, welcome you guys. We're so glad to have you. Um, you know, we're in a series uh, this, this past uh, season. This season is a series about living out holiness in a very hostile world. Living out the, the mandates of God to believers in a world that devalues, nor wants, nor desires to have those things. Right. And, and, you know, we, we, we talk about being with God. We talked about uh, being in relationship with God for a very long time. But this, this end, as, as we move towards the end of the season of our year, our theme rooted in Christ, a year of Christ-centered growth, we really want you guys to, to kind of take this home and ask the question, am I living a life that is set apart, that is distinct, that is unique, that is sacred for God? Am I living a life in such a way that when people see me, whether in my individual life, whether in the public sphere, or in my marriage, or in the world around me, do they see something that is someone who is set apart, unique, distinct? They may not like it, but do they see the distinction there? Do they see the fragrance of holiness in your life? And that's really what this series is about. We really want you to uh, be convicted in asking the question, Lord, change my heart, that my life reflects who you are. And we've talked about a couple of things. We talked about living holy in a hostile world requires you to embody holiness. You embody holiness through, the, through being in God's word, through, through, through taking in good nutrition in your life, not taking in the daily contents of social media of malice, envy, deceit, slander, hypocrisy into your life and letting that mold you, but letting the word of God be taken into your life to mold you and to shape you. We talked about holiness in a hostile world. To do that, you express holiness with your submission and the way you submit into authorities and the way in which you live a life that reflects that. But today, today, I want to talk about holiness in regards to your marriage relationship. Holiness in regards to your marriage relationship. And some of you guys, if you're single, you're thinking, okay, I can pretty much tune out now, right? Uh, it's not about me. It's about all those married couples who need Jesus in their lives. No, actually, this message is for you, singles, right? This message is deeply for you because you need to understand the characteristic that must be developed in your life in order to build yourself into a man and a woman that is worthy of the hand of your spouse, See, you cannot turn on holiness like a light switch here, guys. It just isn't, you just don't pop in uh, spiritual godliness, spiritual manhood, spiritual womanhood just the moment you put a ring on it. This is something that has to be cultivated over time. It has to be something that has to be engaged in, thought through, discern, reflect over and over. So if you are single here, as I'm speaking to the marriage as a broad thing, I want you guys to understand the characteristic that you need to develop or should be developing now in your life, men, to be a man that is worthy, instead of waiting for a woman, trying to ask, like, you know, listing all of these characteristics of what my perfect spouse is going to look like, become that person that is worthy of the hand of your spouse. You follow? Right? So this message, singles, are for you. And if you're married, this message is definitely for you, right? Especially if I married you. If I married you and you have chucked the playbook in which we have spent weeks into preparing for you to, to, to get you ready to what it looks like to be married. You chuck the playbook because you're thinking, I'm, I'm a little too busy right now, job's in the way, house is in the way, children's in the way, I'll get back to it eventually. No, you get back to it today, right? You fight for your marriage today. You seek for your spiritual legacy today. Stop holding it off 
until tomorrow when things settle down, things are better, or you feel like everything's in control. Marriage is not for tomorrow, it is for today. And so we're asking, I'm asking you to remind you to get back to what's important. To reconsider your marriage, your, your spouse, your husband, your wife, and ask the question, am I building a spiritual legacy? Am I loving my spouse the way the scriptures call me to love my spouse? Are we building, are we going back to our north point to direct us? This message is for you, okay? So by way of introduction, let me, uh, let me, let me share this with you guys. There is a great researcher named John Gottman, okay? He did this amazing research. It's like uh, altering a comprehensive critical study. He wanted to test, are there variables are there variables that, that, that are factors that contribute to divorce within a relationship? And what he discovered after doing this whole entire thing is he can predict whether a couple will go div- undergo divorce up to 93% accuracy. Is that crazy? He can predict up to 93% accuracy. And he said the majority of couples that engage in divorce have these four horsemen that he calls it. And one of them, one of them that is a sign of their marriage is contempt. The other three, which I'm not going to talk about as much, is criticism, defensiveness, and stonewalling. But contempt is one of the things he says that if there is contempt in your marriage, you are moving your marriage down the road of divorce. And you guys know what contempt is, right? Contempt is when you have no disregard for the other person. You don't respect them. You don't honor them. You don't appreciate them. When, you, when you're engaged with them, you, you, uh, you hear it in their tone when they talk to you, you see it in their body language, they're pretty much disgusted with you. Right? They don't wanna be around you. Everything you say, do, even if you breathe, it upsets them. That is contempt. And I tell you this because what Peter is saying is this, if your marriage is going to be built on this idea of contempt for your spouse, you are moving your Marriage down ultimately to the process of divorce. But Peter gives us an antidote for contempt. More about to read. The antidote for contempt that he is, that he says is this, it's honor. Everybody say honor. Honor. Honor is the antidote for contempt. If you, if you honor, respect, regard, cherish your spouse, it enables you to fight against contempt. So if you have your Bibles, open your Bibles to 1 Peter. Okay? And Peter is going to give us instructions He's going to give us instructions on how to build this marriage. And he's going to uh, talk about three things. He's talking about honoring your non-Christian spouse, right? He's going to talk about wives honoring your husband. And he's going to talk about husband honoring your wives. To live holy in a hostile world, to build holiness into your marriage, to build holiness into your marriage, what requires is honor, Learning to honor your significant others. All right? So again, I usually don't say it. I mean, if today is the day that you want to take a nap, and I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you guys, don't take a nap during the message. Okay, wake up. Okay? Focus. Okay, this is for you. Okay, this is for you. You got to listen. My hope, and I'm, let me tell you this. I'm not, I'm not preaching this because I'm, I'm declaring PT and Trisha got their marriage in order. Okay? That is the opposite of what I'm declaring. Okay? I'm preaching this message because I'm telling you, this message ministered to my heart. And I only have the job of being the deliverer of this message to you, okay? And as we learn together, as we minister together, as we are growing together, may the word of God speak into your life that convicts you to change, to wake up, to move towards honoring your significant other. 
First Peter chapter three, verses one. That's what he says, verse 1 to 2. He says, Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Okay? The first thing he's going to address here is a situation where there is a believing spouse in the home and a non-believing spouse in the home. Okay? He's going to address a situation where you are called to honor your non-believing spouse. Now, the question is, how did that situation even happen? How, how is it possible that you have a situation in the home where there is one believing spouse and one non-believing spouse? Okay? There's three things. Before I get into what Peter is trying to say here, I want, I want to address these three areas and how this ends up happening. One scenario is this. You're a Christian, you're a believer, you love the word of God, you go to church, you serve, and you decide to date and ultimately marry a non-believer. You're not supposed to, but you did anyways. It's a scenario that's not God's best for you, it's less than the best for you, and it's a scenario that's going to cause a lot of harm, a lot of damage, and a lot of pain to not just you and your marriage in, in particular, but to the legacy that you will leave behind and broad. See, here's the thing, because... If you love Jesus, when you marry someone who, who does not know Jesus, if you are someone who loves Jesus, who honors God, who reads the word, who serves, who comes to church, if you're someone who's like that and you marry somebody who does not love God, does not read God's word, does not want to be under the authority of God, guess what's going to happen? You may be with them. They may be with you, but they will never have the fullness of your heart because your heart has been given already to the Lord. And so they can understand you, but they will never fully understand you. They will never have what is most deeply, you will never be able to share what is most deeply and most cherished in your heart, which is Jesus Christ. They don't, because they don't understand the Bible. They don't understand Christ. They don't understand why you're doing it. And the result of that, the result of that, the ugliness that comes out of that is this, right? It's like eventually either one, you will concede out of just care for them and not go to church anymore, not be as reverent in the word anymore, not try to, and you're going to have to drag your kids to church and do whatever you got to do, but you're going to just dial down your witness to the world around you. Or the other scenario is this, you end up being this, you end up being a, a person who will uh, go to church, force your kids to go to church, and then your, your, your husband will be at home, and the kids are eventually going to follow the, 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 the example of the husband or the non-believing spouse because that's the easiest one, and you build a legacy that begins to be broken at that very moment, right? That's one scenario of how that situation would happen. Another scenario of how a situation where there's a Christian spouse and a non-believing spouse in the home is that you marry, you are two professing believers in the beginning. You're a believer, and then you meet somebody who, who claims to be a believer as well, and you know, they, they show up to your Bible studies, they come out to church with you, they even pray together with you, and the moment you marry them, all of a sudden they stop. They stop going to church, they stop reading their Bible, they stop walking and caring about what Jesus thought. They're pretty much living like a non-believer, right? And at this point, there's a crisis in the home. Because you're thinking, I thought I married a Christian, what happened here, right? I thought I, thought I married a believer, what happened here? I thought, I thought he or she was really into the Lord. Now, what happened? Ultimately, sometimes, I'll, I'll tell you the truth, sometimes when you're, in, when you're in this whole dating process and you're trying to get them to be a believer and walking with them, I'm not going to lie, if the person really likes you, they'll put up a front for you, right? 
They'll show up to church. They'll pray. They'll, they'll open their Bibles. They'll, they'll go through all of that for you because they really want to be with you. That's an easy, that's an easy ask. But now that they have you, you're in, the, you're in the home together, you're married. They don't have to do that anymore. That's why when, you, when, you, when you're in a relationship, it's so important to ask the question, does this other person have a community of faith? Are there people keeping him accountable, keeping her accountable? Are there people speaking to their life? Are they under authority? Those are questions you should be asking to a person who claims to be a believer. Because if there's no one keeping them accountable, they're not, in, they're, they're, no one is, is, they're not under authority to anybody, they're not in a community of faith where people are walking with them, there's a high chance of just really going through this just for you. And don't be surprised that once you put the ring on it, they say, I do, they come back home and they're pretty much living like a non-believer. And did you know that most churches, only 40% of church attendees are male? Right? I looked around, I was like, that's probably right, right? And then 60%, the other 60% are female, okay? If there's 11 to 13 million women in the church, more women in the church than men, there's a lot of women out there who thought they were marrying Christian men and then found out that these men that they're married aren't actually believers. And she ends up going to church alone. She ends up dragging her kids because most of the time, dad's not coming. He's watching the game. Right? And eventually when the kids get old enough, they don't want to come either because they follow after the example of father. That's how another situation in which you will get a believer and a non-believer in the house. Okay? None of these are ideal, by the way. Okay? But here's the last one. This is the one that Peter was talking about. You have two non-believers in the house. Two non-believers, they got married, they said their I do's, and then one of them got saved. One of them met the Lord. One of them's heart was transformed by God. One of them began to open their Bibles, to, to reach out to the Lord, to, to have a community. And that's what Peter's doing. He's saying that if you're a non-Christian in the marriage, if you're a non-Christian in that marriage, what's going to happen? You're looking at your spouse, this Christian who, who, became, who this person who, became, who you married became a believer. You're looking at them and you're, you're wondering to yourself, what, what is going on in their life, right? You're making a determination on whether you see their Christianity as a benefit or a detriment to this relationship. You're looking at them, you're watching them. Therefore, if you are married to a non-believer and you converted and you became a follower of Jesus Christ, your life becomes a resume now for Christianity. And you wanna conduct yourself in such a way that you're showing the benefits, the flourishing, the beauty, the goodness, the really reality of what it means to follow after Jesus. Your, your, your life becomes a resume to your non-believing spouse. And here's the thing, most of the time, if most of the time if the husband is a believer, the family will follow. But, here's a, but the context that Peter is saying is here's what? The wife is the believer and the husband is not. And usually, if the, and I don't want to scare you guys, but if the wife is a believer only, a lot of times the husband won't follow, right? Because why would, why would a guy now who's never been under authority put himself under someone else's authority? Makes no sense for him. And so Peter writes this, and he's saying, this is the scenario. You are a wife who now has been converted, who knows the Lord, and you have a husband who does not. How are you to honor your husband in this situation? And let me give you some context here. In those days, the husband was the ultimate authority in the home. He's the one that dictates what religion you follow. He's the one that dictates how things are. Women had absolutely no legal rights in the world, 
in the, in the home at that time. They don't, it's not like the women of today. Rights that we see today for women are not, weren't there in, in the past for uh, women of antiquity. It was actually through the spread of Christianity that the rights of women were elevated. Where you see Christianity where you see, is where you see more rights for the woman. Where you see less of Christianity is where you see less rights given to the woman. So in those days, Christianity hasn't spread wide and far yet. It's a very small thing. So wife couldn't own property. They couldn't vote. They couldn't have a say in society. They couldn't testify in court. She was, in some regards, the property of her husband. Okay? Husband would decide everything about it. Religious life, everything. She would, she would have to submit under that because she had no right to submit. She had to, have to submit under that. She had to just follow her husband's leadership. So in that scenario, and these are Christian women now in the church. Peter is here. He's asking them, and they're asking Peter, what do I do? My husband's not a believer. I met the Lord. I love him. I want him, right? But he will not accept Jesus Christ. And says, like, what should I do? And this is what Peter's advice and his instruction to her was. He said this, live a life that is holy and full of reverence so that he may see the purity of your heart. Right? She's tried to give him the word. She's tried to preach the Bible to him. She took him to church. She bought him a Bible. She talked to him about Jesus. And he simply will not accept or have anything to do with God. He put down the hammer. The answer is no. I do not want that in the house. I do not want him in the house. I do not want the Bible in the house. You do not, do not bring that forward to my home ever again. And the wife will have to do what? Peter says, in that scenario, in that case, you live your life in such a way that shows your reverence. The believer's conduct becomes important. If the spouse has said no, right, conduct yourself with such character that even if they're not being very kind to you, they are seeing you respond in a way that God ordains. Your job is to conduct yourself still with character in the midst of hostility in that home. Your job is to conduct yourself with still the reverence for God, the submission to God, the love for God, the following after God, even if in that home, your husband says no. And some of you guys are like, I've tried that, PT. Some of you guys at home or even here. I've tried, I've been a nice guy, I've been a nice girl. I was respectful, I was appreciative and thankful, and they didn't respond to me. You know, they didn't do anything that was of, of kind. They, didn't, they, were, they were discouraging. They, were, they, were, they, they just brushed it off. Everything I did didn't, didn't really help. And you know why? This is some practical for you guys. If that's you, you know why it didn't help? Because probably you didn't ask them. You probably didn't ask your spouse what's good for them. How can I serve you? How can I honor you? How can I bless you? How do I make you feel love? How, what do you need from me? How could I, what, would I, what would be respectful of me to you? You don't ask them that because if you would have asked them, they would have told you and you would be able to respond in kind. Oftentimes, we think that what works for one situation, what works for you, should work for them. It doesn't work that way. If you really want to see your spouse who's a non-believer, if you want to see the person who's in your house who is not a believer, really come to see the beauty of Jesus Christ, to see the goodness of God, to see the winsome, the beauty, the character, the flourishing of Jesus, what you would need to do is ask the question, how can I love you better? What is it that you need that may honor you? How can I respect you? And as they lay these things down, you go and you live it out for them in reverent submission. 
Okay? It's to ask. Sometimes, listen, if you're the believing spouse and you're trying to push Jesus down someone's throat, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm doing all this because I want you to see Jesus. You know what's going to happen? You're probably getting in the way of Jesus for them. Right? They're, they're looking at you and they're like, mm, no, I don't want it. You're just shoving it down my throat. You're just pushing this on me. You got to let Christ do their work, his work in their life. You are not God to them. You cannot change them. But what you can do is you can love them like him. That Christ, know that the way, what, our love, what we needed was for him to come here and be like us, right? And so what did he do? He gave up his authority. He gave us his divinity, and he submitted in obedience to the Father to serve us. In the same way, our reaction to our non-believing spouse is not to shove Jesus Christ down their throat some more. It's to step aside, understand what they need, understand what it is that makes them tick, understand what it is that makes them feel love, and then you deliver that with love for Christ as you're praying that God begins to minister into their hearts. You get out of the way and you let God do his work. The goal here is not to win the argument to your spouse about Jesus. The goal is to win your spouse to Jesus, right? So if you are that person, you need support. You need love. You need prayer from your church. You need your church and church family. If you know someone like that, if you know someone in that position, your job, our job, is to come alongside them, to ask them, how can I support you now? I know you're having a hard time coming out to church. How can I support that? I know that you're dragging your kids. How can we get the youth group kids or the youth group leaders to come alongside your kids and really entice them or, or, or engage them, encourage them to come out to church? How can we get some more of our husbands to kind of drag your husband out, right? Because there are things that husband talks about that wife and husband can't talk about, right? There are things that husband can kind of like chit-chat with each other. We understand each other at a certain level. There are things that we can say to each other. Even if the husband's a non-believer, the non-believing husband and the believing husband can engage and understand each other. There's, there's, there's an understanding that we have, right? The church family should come alongside and do that. And, that's, and that's, that's Peter's advice. That's Peter's instruction if you find yourself in that situation. So if you're single, church, ladies, sons, my prayer is that you do not First of all, date a non-believer, okay? It's just, it's just going to end up in a big mess for you, bigger headache for your life. But let's say, regardless of what I say, you still do it anyways, right? And you still end up getting married, okay? And you find yourself in this big rut. You don't even know what's happening. You're kind of afraid. Let me tell you, okay? It's not to run. It's not to hide. It's not to, you know, disregard and just hope for the best, you got to be active about this. Honor your spouse. Do what is necessary for their love, for their needs. Get out of the way and let the Holy Spirit do his work in them too. But here's the thing. If the husband knows the Lord and loves the Lord, usually the wife follows. It's a little harder the opposite way. Okay? Now, Peter begins after that to talk about to wives here. And this is going to be a hard thing for me because I have to speak to the wives. Okay? And, and, and some of you guys are thinking... Who are you to like speak to the wife, right? Look, I'm just, I just deliver this. I didn't write it, okay? My job is to give you the word as best as I can. I, I asked my wife, does she want to come up and read this? She's like, no, right? You know, so, so I'm going to have to do this for you. But my job here, Peter's going begin to ask, begin to ask the question, wives, this is how you honor your husband. 
This is what you need to do to honor your husband in the marriage, okay? To mitigate against contempt in the marriage and allow it to be as healthy as possible, this is what the instruction for you wives are to be. Look at verse three to six. It says this. Your beauty should not come from the outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold, jewelry, and fine clothes. Okay, this is not saying that you're not allowed to wear these things, okay? I know that that's what people think, but it's not what it's saying. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is great worth in God's sight. But this is the way of the holy women of the past who put their hope in God, used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you, do not, if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Okay? All right, wives, how do you honor your husband? Ladies, singles, daughters, what is it the characteristic that I need to develop now as I'm preparing for this, or just you need to develop in general as a daughter of God? The first thing is this, you focus on the internal, not the external. You focus on the internal, not the external. Why? Because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. God focuses on the heart, not on the outward appearance. Can I say this fairly, ladies, that women often can cover up a lot of their flaws that they don't like to appear holy, godly, or put together. If, if the man's issue, why he cannot faithfully carry out his role as being passive, then the woman's issue is this, that she desires perfection. And jealousy, envy, and bitterness comes out of that when she cannot have it. There's a need to adorn herself with the veneer that I have everything together, that my house is nice, that the furniture is good, that the car is running, that everything is in good tip-top shape. My husband, everyone is following in line. My children are in line. They're ready for school. They're getting scholarships all over the place, right? It's amazing. It's perfect. It's pristine. And oftentimes when we have that mentality, it actually comes from a reflex from the fall. The fall was that everything was perfect. Now, now, because of our rebellion against God, our desire to say, I know better, our reflex now is always to recreate that beauty. But we can't. And we're always comparing. There's always jealousy. There's always envy. Because honestly, why? Because not all the ladies in our, in our church are of the same um, material status or even the same economic status. Isn't it true? There are people who are pretty well off, and there are people who are okay well off, and there are people who are not very well off. There are people who make enough to survive, people who make enough to eat, and people who make enough to pray, right? It's, it's really in that situation. And in this situation, what we begin, if you begin to just constantly adorn, here's the thing. No matter, no matter how high you are in the status level, there's what? There's someone higher that you're looking at, isn't there? There's someone's house who is bigger. There's someone's husband who is better. There's someone's children who are more disciplined, right? And as you're just constantly trying to create this veneer that you're put together. And God is saying this, I have given you something even better. I want something even better from you. And I've given you all the resources to receive it. And you know what that is? Character. The character of a noble woman. It's not that you shouldn't care about your appearance, okay, guys, or ladies, right? But that it shouldn't be your primary. It shouldn't be the thing that you are 
identified by. It shouldn't be the thing that you are so stressed out over. It shouldn't be the thing that you are constantly thinking about. What you should be on your heart is the character of your heart. Am I developing the spiritual characteristic of a woman and daughter of the living God, of my father? Your concern should be being in the word, having this relationship with God, being in communication with God so he can build your character. So that why? So that when you speak to your spouse, to your children, to your friends, to your relatives, you have words of wisdom to offer. You have, a, you have not just a veneer of beauty, but you have deep inward quality that they see that's greater, so much greater than the outward. Where adornment and outward appearance comes and goes, the word of God and the wisdom that he wants to give you stays forever. Why does he give, why does, why does it that he gives his character out so easily? Because he wants that for you. He, he gives it in the words that you would read it. He gives it in the prayer that when you're in relationship with him, so that you would begin to cultivate such character. So that when your words are spoken, it is spoken with gentleness of spirit. It is, it is delivered with kindness and wisdom is that when people begin to see you, they see a woman of true nobility. Not someone who is constantly trying to put everything right so that people will give them like, oh yeah, their life must be so great. Their life must be, we all know. You don't fool anybody. What's the point of having everything on the outside look great if you don't have the inward strength to hold your family together? Right? What's the, what's the point of building a life where everything on the outside, the veneer of it, looks so wonderful, but on the background is built off a faulty foundation that crumbles? First thing, honor, why is honor your husband? The way you begin to do that is that you cultivate inward. You cultivate inward um, growth rather than the external veneer. But the second thing here, he says this. He says, have a gentle and quiet spirit. Now, if you're thinking, PT, you trying to take women's rights backwards here? Or you supposed to be doormats? Just sit around, just be quiet, bend over, right? Is that what you're saying? No, right? Have a gentle and quiet spirit. And, that, and, and, and I'm not going to fault you because I think a lot of times when you hear Christians speak about this or Christian teaching teach about this, and even if you kind of have this kind of broad, somewhat broad understanding of, of history, that's what, you, that's what you view this verse to sound like. But when Peter speaks of it, and actually when Christian women lived it out in history, the reality of this word, gentle and quiet spirit, does not mean to be a doormat. It does not mean that you do not speak up. It does not mean that you're in the background doing nothing. It does not mean that you give way to abuse because at home you're just supposed to just take it, right? That's not what gentle, quiet spirit means. Gentle and quiet spirit means this. It is the fruit of the spirit. It's the fruit that comes when a woman is in the word of God when a woman is praying to God, when a woman has a relationship with God, what comes out? Fruit of the Spirit, yes? Love, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Those things are the results of your relationship with God, and those 
Those fruit, gentleness and quiet of spirit is the fruit that God gives you, wives, daughters, to do what? To be able to use that for your husband, for your family to be able to interact with your spouse. God gives you this fruit so that you can interact with your spouse. If you're not in relationship with God, if you're not walking with God, if you're not speaking to God, you're not receiving this fruit, you're not developing it, it's not being cultivated in you, and so no wonder you and your husband are in a, in a state where you're constantly not quiet, not gentle, and there's fighting, there is in, there's, there's infighting, there's, there's, there's bitterness, there's anger, there's even contempt that comes out of your life. It's the fruit that God gives you to help you win your spouse. Is that crazy? Let me tell you that again. Gentleness of spirit, right? gentleness and quietness of spirit, peace, it's the fruit that God gives you, daughters, women, to win your husband. A peaceful, gentle spirit is how you do that. But when your husband see in you that you're not adversarial, but when a man looks at his wife and, she, and, she, and, and he sees her being kind, not critical, not nagging, it takes the temperature of the room way down, doesn't it? When the approach is gentleness and of peace, very rarely, unless the, unless the husband or the guy is struggling with anger himself, right? That's, well, I'll talk to the guys later about that, right? But if he's struggling with anger himself, the temperature will stay that way. But when, the, when, when the condition, when the spirit of your heart is not gentleness and, and, and quietness and peace to approach an issue, when your go-to format is to go straight into nagging, straight into being critical, straight into being angry, what's going to happen? It will always elevate the temperature in the room. It will always create adversarial contempt. It will always, it never ends well. Someone's hurt. Someone's going to be angry. Someone's going to cry, right? And, oh, someone's going to give in and someone's going to put up a front. Overall, when a husband sees that my wife is not fighting me, that she's not trying to attack me, it gives the Holy Spirit a place to work in their hearts. And daughters, wives, sisters, this doesn't mean that you can't be honest about things that you're passionate about, that you're concerned with. I'm not telling you that, I'm not telling you to be a doormat. I'm not telling you to bend over. I'm not telling you just to not say anything, I am saying that the way in which you approach it, your concerns, your issues, that you have a respectful, honorable conversation without getting into a major battle. When you cultivate gentleness and peace in your heart. See, what you want is what's best for your family, isn't it? Not what's best for you. What you're, what you're seeking for ultimately is what's going to flourish and strengthen your family, not specifically what you want to attain. And that means this. It means, yes, please talk about sensitive topics. Please talk about things that you're concerning. Please don't just, just let things go and pass it up. You have to say these things. That's why you're there in the relationship. Say these things. Have those concerns, especially when it comes to sensitive topics, tough topics, hard topics like money, like how to raise your kids, like what to do about our homes, about what to buy, what not to buy. Sensitive topics that really stirs and get you guys kind of fired up about certain things, right? There's a need, there's a need all the more for gentleness. Because a harsh start in the fight begins to be dishonoring to your husband. Raising your voice, negative name calling, cussing, 
threatening, being aggressive and tearing down, all that'll do is two things. It will elicit a fight or flight response from your husband, right? When, when you engage in a concern, an issue, and you're critical, you're nitpicking, you're angry, you're mad, you're upset about it, all that will do is, is, is trigger his fight or his flight response. His fight response is what? He will, he will, he will, he will, he will get you back, right? He's es- you, he will escalate the issue with you. You will go at it, and now it becomes what? A battle of wills. Who is more stubborn? Who can last the longest? Who can hold out the longest? It becomes a battle of will in the situation. Or, guess what? He'll just leave. He'll just zone out. He'll just go to his worst state possible. He'll just become absolutely passive. Absolutely passive. Either way, you're not resolving the issue. You're just breaking the relationship. All right? So practically, if you're there, if you're in that place, ladies, wives, daughters, where gentleness and quiet of spirit is, part, is not part of your life, you have to work on it. You, you, got, you, got, you got to start going home, get on your knees, open your word, and begin to pray, God, grant me the gentleness of spirit, the fruit that allows for me to win my husband my spouse, and my family. If you see in yourself a constant adversarial, critical, negative, tearing down, nitpicking attitude, you need to start changing that attitude and asking the Holy Spirit to change your heart. I know what you're asking right now. What about him, right? I know you said a lot, but what about him? I'm going to get to your husband. I'm going to get to the guys, but I'm talking about you first, Right? Now you guys are thinking, it better be just as good, right? Because I, I don't know if I want to do this, right? Your attitude and your responsibility before your heavenly father comes first. You cannot stand before God one day and say, I didn't carry out what you asked of me, father, because that guy that you put into my life didn't carry out his role. You're still responsible for your conduct before your father. You're still responsible for your conduct before your God. You're still his daughter, Honoring the Lord in relationship means you do need to talk about your issues, but you're going to do this in a respectful way that builds the relationship and doesn't blow it up. That's the heart of a quiet and gentle spirit. Does that make sense? All right? I'm not telling you to avoid the issue. I'm not telling you to be passive or silent. I'm not telling you to just be like, maybe a lot of your moms are like this. Dad gets crazy and he just shuts down. So I'm not going to deal with it. I'm asking you, be concerned. Talk about these things. But you address it with the fruit in which God gives you, a gentleness of spirit and a peace of heart. Right? Here's the third thing. Have hope. For verse 5, for this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You were her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Why did Peter bring up Sarah here? 
Is he, is he trying to tell us, oh, yeah, you got to be like Sarah, pushover, right? Just do whatever he tells you. No, Sarah, I mean, that's half of her life. The other half was just as bad. She's not perfect, by the way, Sarah, okay? What did she do? She did some pretty horrific things, didn't she? She denied God's promise to her. He, she laughed in his face. When, he, when, she, when God said, Sarah will bore you, will bury the child, the promised child, she was about 100? <laughs> yeah, right? She just giggled and laughed because she's like, what does God know? What does this dude know? I'm old. I'm barren. Her attitude towards her God was distrusting, was unfaithful. She let her husband sleep with another woman because it was culturally okay at the time. It was not biblically okay, but it was culturally okay. You know, I can't bury any children, so this is my work around that, right? Go sleep with another woman. That's her. And you know why that's hopeful for you, ladies? Because ladies, there's an imperfection about us, yes? But his grace and his mercy still extends as it did to Sarah. Abraham and Sarah were called almost the father and mother of faith. And if God can work in that family, there's hope for your family. If at this moment, you're sitting there, you're thinking to yourself, I don't know if, 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 we're, if, if our family's going to get out of this. I don't know if we can ever change. I don't know if things will ever work. You know, the way, the way I am, who I am, or what I'm doing, is, maybe I'm too far gone. Maybe, maybe this is going to work. Uh, maybe later on in my life. The reality, this is, there's hope. Remember this, that God points to holy women in the scriptures to demonstrate obedience. Sarah trusted in God through her submission to her husband. She honored her husband. She honored her husband. And if God can do that through that family, he can do it through yours. There is hope. There is, listen, girls, there is, ladies, there is hopes. There is a hope that you don't need to create, that you do not need to create the veneer of a perfect family. There is hope that God will make it perfect by his power. In spite of you, in spite of you, if you would obey and honor your husband. Now listen, okay? I got some caveats. Submission to your husband does not mean submission to any man. Does that make sense? This context is only submission to your husband. Because if your husband is a good man, he, know he, he is looking out for what's best for your life, okay? It's dangerous just to trust some random dude what's best for your life. If your husband is listening to God, your father, and he's living God's word out faithfully to you, right? Your submission, your honor to him is when you submit to him, you listen, you approach him with gentleness and quietness of spirit, you work on the inner character of your heart as you deal with these things, Okay, your husband knows you best. He is faithful, and if he is faithful, he's going to seek for your best. I don't know where people get the idea that if you have a boyfriend, you submit to your boyfriend. That's not biblical, okay? If you're dating someone, and I, I, if I hear a girl say, oh, you know, it's my boyfriend, so I gotta submit to him. He's your boyfriend, right? He is not your husband. He is, he is still messed up. He still has issues. Do not submit to him, right? Do not submit to him until he is, on, he, until he is willing to give his whole life to you to not submit to him. Don't you listen to just any male authority out there? This call to submission is only to your husband. You follow? This is not misogynistic. This is not patriarchal. This is simply 
The call of God for you as a wife to honor your, in honoring your husband this way, you help flourish your family. Yeah? Wives, honor your husbands. Here's the fourth thing. Have hope, but here's the fourth thing. Don't give in to fear. He says what? If you do what is right and do not give way to fear. I understand why, ladies, daughters, wives. I understand why there's a need to be critical. There's a need to be nitpicky. There's a need to nag. There's a need to point out. There's a need to be offensive, loud, attacking. I understand why. Mostly because a lot of times our ladies, we've given, they've gone through trauma, hurt, abuse, and their past makes it difficult for them to actually trust somebody. And their, and their fear of what has happened is still lingering in their hearts, brothers. And so what happens is there is a constant need to protect themselves. And so fear comes along. And so uh, barriers comes up. And so res- reflexive uh, um, Comments and thoughts are used, are made only for the need for protection, and gentleness and peace doesn't come out of that. Ultimately, what happens in your past leaves a wound now for you, yes? And that instinctively makes you want to protect yourself. I get that. But what Scripture is saying is this, don't give in to fear. The Bible says perfect love casts out fear. Do you know where the perfect love comes from? Not your husband, okay? The perfect love does not come from your husband. The perfect love comes from the relationship you have with God. When you know exactly how he thinks of you, what he thinks of you, how he loves you, how he treats you, how you're elevated in his eyes. When you realize what he has be willing to do for you, that perfect love, if he's going to go that far on the cross for me, in spite of me, what do I have to fear? See, we can't cultivate that heart until we cultivate that relationship. And if we don't cultivate that relationship, our go-to reflex is to respond in fear. He's not going to make enough money. We're going to be broke. We're going to be bankrupt. We're going to die. Right? We don't have a roof over our heads. Right? Our kids are going to live poor. We're going to be on the streets. We're going to die. Right? There's this constant reflex of fear of what may or may not happen And that fear comes from a lack of relationship to the Father. When you ultimately know that your Father is good to you, you begin to trust your Father in the emotional protection of your marriage. You you trust God in protecting your marriage, not you. See, what you try to do, ladies, wives, daughters, what we try to do, what what you try to do is you try to protect the emotional state of your marriage by doing what? By being in control of your marriage. By creating a veneer, a facade, a wall, a strength, so that you yourself feel like this is it. I'm protecting my marriage. I'm making everything good. Oftentimes, out of fear, wives, you seek to control that prospect because you're afraid. But when you trust God, when you when you let go of your fear of what may or may not happen, and you trust your father, your father who loves you. Dearly, and you begin to engage in a quietness of spirit, quiet, a gentleness of spirit, you're handing over your trust to the Lord to work on your husband. You're giving, by doing it, you're, you're, 
You're giving your trust to your husband. You can't change your husband, ladies, okay? Some of you guys said, that's not true. I did. No, you didn't. No, you didn't, right? If you thought you changed your husband by his behavior, you, you totally failed. You can change his outward behavior because he's tired of you nagging, but you have not changed his heart. Do you know, you, do you know how I know that? Because the moment he gets freedom, he's happy, right? The moment there's no, there's, there's no, uh, there's no uh, accountability, he's happy. Freedom. Not that I miss home, sorry, do I get to get out? But at home, he's compliant. He'll do the dishes, he'll wash the floors, watch the babies, do whatever you want. Bring home the money, buy the house, buy the furniture, whatever you want. He, he will do it outwardly. He's all yours. But then really, you have not changed him one bit. All you've done is change his outward veneer and not change his heart. So oftentimes, ladies, you get in the way of God changing the heart of your husband. You see, when you give way to fear, that's what happens. When you give way to fear, you stand as the middleman between God and your husband. God is trying to work on your husband, but oftentimes all your husband sees is you, not God. All he sees is just you coming at him and not God. You want God to change your husband. And the heart, can I tell you, is the hardest thing to change. The only, the only thing I know that's ever changed the heart of anyone is the word of God, right? To expose the deeper issues of man's heart and to change it from the inside out. God wants what's best for your family and your husband more than you do. So do not give way to fear. So this is what it means for single ladies here. If you're single and you work and there's a lot of fear in your heart, fear because of your past, fear because of trauma, fear because of these things, what you need to be cultivating in your character and your life is a deeper relationship to how much God loves you. Because if there is a perfect love that's given to you, fear is cast out. You don't need to take control. You don't need to be hands-on every single time, every little thing. You're allowing God to do the emotional work that God does on your family, on your husband, on your person. Cultivate that relationship. Daughters, you cannot let your fear get in the way of being obedient to God. You can't say, my, my, my husband didn't do this, so that's why I didn't do that. Like I said, your relationship is to God first. Okay? And here's the thing. Your obedience will be used by God to minister to your husband. Your obedience to come at it with an internal reflection of your character, your obedience when it comes to a gentleness and a quietness of spirit will be used by God. Your obedience in hope and not letting fear get there, your obedience will become the very thing that God uses to minister to your husband, your children, and your family. The quietness of your spirit means you let the Holy Spirit do the work, not you. You guys get me? So here's, here's a scenario. Let's say you're really frustrated with your husband. You're frustrated with the guy. He's just, he's, he said things that's very dishonoring to you. You're feeling really upset. And the, the, the natural go-to response is to be protective, to put up your walls, and to begin to attack, to begin to be critical, to begin to nag, to begin to nitpick, begin to point, begin to name call. When that begins to happen, this is what the practical ap uh, application is this. When your frustration comes in, what you need to do is you need to spend your time before you release your fury, you come before your God, right? You come before your God, your time in prayer. And your prayers could be this. 
You could say, Lord, I could be wrong. Could be wrong. So let me watch my heart and my tone when I'm about to speak. Lord, give us the opportunity to speak about this. Because ultimately, I want your spirit to work, not me. I want you to do the convicting, not me. And you step into it. And from a husband's perspective, can I give you, wife, ladies, from a husband's perspective is this. If I know my wife is for me, if I know my wife is saved, she's godly, she's trustworthy, she's helpful, she means well, she doesn't just jump to criticism, yell or nag, her baseline is gentleness and quietness of spirit, if that's her baseline, guess what's going to happen? If by any moment, this is her baseline, if by any moment, when she's, she's, she's extra passionate, extra intense, you know what's going to happen? It's going to register normally for husbands. Something's wrong. I need to listen and figure this out. It will naturally register. But if baseline is always up here, Every single time, you know what registers to the husband's mind? Must be Monday. Oh, Wednesday along. Or the infamous. It's probably her time of the month, right? And guess what? Drown it out. Don't listen, right? Just kind of endure it till it's over. Remember, okay? <laughs> Wives, we're called to honor a husband. Sisters, daughters, what you were called is to cultivate a relationship with God in such a way where you're focusing on your character, the inward growth. Stop worrying about the house, the finances, the cars, the issues of your children. Focus on the inner character of your heart. Cultivate that now, today. Work on that noble character before the Lord. Work on that relationship where you understand his love for you, the depth of it. Get deeper into the reality of that. Pray more. Seek him deeper so that if and when you are married, if you're called into marriage, what, what, what is delivered is this, is this treasure, and that's what you are, a treasure that is used to minister to your husband and build a legacy that will endure forever. So let's get to our husbands, right? So he was like, finally, right? Can't wait. Hold up, before I say that, right? Remember, the instructions that Peter gives is both for husband and for wife, okay? It doesn't mean that if husband don't do this, then I won't do that. If you've, if you've gone through marriage counseling with me, right? The equation for marriage is what? Equation for marriage is, what's the numbers? 100, 100, 100, very good, 100, 100, okay? So it's not like if wife don't do this, then I'm not gonna do that. Or if, if husband don't do this, then I'm not gonna do that. If, if in this situation, okay, anything happens, you are responsible still in the sight of God for your conduct. And it means this, if one or the other is not doing what God instructs, then you, need, you each need to take the courage and go first in your responsibility to honor Wives, honor your husband. So husband, honor your wife. Look at verse 7, okay? Don't think the fact that you only got one verse that, that, that you are perfect, okay? That is far from behind, right? He give you one verse because too much instructions might blow your brains or something, right? Verse 7. 
Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Husband honoring your wife. What does that mean? First, it means consider her. Be understanding of her. It means to think what it's like to be her. Okay? Can you imagine what it's like for her to be married to you? Have you thought about that? Can you imagine what it's like for you to be married to you? Right? That's exact, exactly, that's exactly how she feels. Have you thought about, have you had the empathy to consider what it's like to be married to you? Right? Seeing life through the eyes, through their eyes, from their perspective. And it's such an important character, brothers, for you to develop. Empathy. Because we're, we're, we're so naturally inclined to selfishness. We're so naturally inclined to get things our way. We're mama's boys, right? We, we, what we want, we get. So we're naturally inclined that if I want this, I get this, versus trying to see what it costs them to give it to us. What it costs for them to go through that. And what you need to develop, brothers, right, is that you need to develop an ability to be empathetic of what's happening from the other person's eyes. It's seeking to serve her, not be selfish to serve yourself. And, and, so, and some of you guys are like, I do that. I do that all the time. No, no, what you do is you, get, you do a quid pro quo, right? I'll do that because I, technically I want this, right? Technically it's still about you, but you're willing to give the impression of I'm serving her so that you can get what you really want versus just seeing what she really needs and giving that to her. Serving your wife is asking, how do you see it? This situation, how do you feel about it? What do you need? How can I be more compassionate? How can I be more understanding? What do you need from me? Right? That's how you consider your wife. That's how you honor her. You honor her by being empathetic to what she needs, how she feels about it, understanding how, uh, what it takes for her to do what she needs to do. You're asking the question. Just ask, you know? When you guys do marriage counseling with me, we give you the five A's, remember? One of the A's was what? Ask, okay? What is it that I can do for you today? That's a very simple question to ask. Some of us are like, I don't even think about it anymore, okay? Think about it. Marriage counseling was not to be forgotten. It is to be brought back every single time, okay, guys? So the first thing is consider her. The way you honor your wife is to consider her, your understanding of her. But second thing here is protect your wife. The weaker vessel. Now, and some of you guys are like, well, I'm not weak, PT. Like, why are you calling me weak? Okay, that's, I, get, I, get, I get how that sounds offensive, okay? But let me, let me try to break it down for you a little bit, okay? It's, it's protect your wife as the weaker vessel in regards to physicality. In regards to physicality, men can often use their physicality to intimidate their wives. Their voice, a lot louder, a lot deeper, carries further. Their strength, right, to put fear. Most women have had men like that in their lives. Their dads, other people who have gone through those things, raise their voice, overbearing, scary, abusive to them. And so here you are, you're supposed to be the person who protects them, who keeps them away from those fears, but you're the one actually even further adding on to that fear. Okay, think about it. Very rarely do men spend much of the day feeling um, unsafe. Is that true? I don't, I don't spend my days feeling unsafe. Okay? When I leave my drink at the bar, I don't, I leave my drink at the bar. I go to the restroom. 
You know, I found out like when girl, I, I remember, I, the first time I saw this, I was, I was kind of like, what's she doing, right? She, she covers it with her coaster, right? I'm like, they're afraid like flies are gonna fly in? Like what's, what's, what's happening? I didn't understand that. Then when I realized, it's because why? They don't want the drinks to be laced, right? They don't want the drinks to be laced so that they've been taken home by somebody else. Things, awful things like that would happen. Very rarely do guys feel unsafe. We feel like we can handle ourselves. But women, we, they don't feel like that way all the time, right? When they're alone in the house, they don't feel, they don't feel safe, okay? When they walk towards their car in a dark structure, they don't feel safe. And so what it means to honor your wife is that if the man who is stronger is not for her, but is against her, if you are, if you are not protecting her, not watching out for her, instead of uh, protecting her, you're causing her more harm, that's a very horrific environment for your wife to be in. It's like prison, right? She, she's, she's like a prisoner of war. She's already messed up, and now she has to have you, which is gonna mess her up even more, right? But the evil thing about men is that we have found this ability to intimidate, to be loud, to push, very effective, isn't it? It's like war, right? When you find a weakness in your partner or in, in the enemy, what do you do? You exploit the weakness. You keep pushing at the one spot. They always get them to, uh, to, to bend. Like, don't do that, because when you do that, this is gonna happen. You exploit their fears. You exploit what bothers them. You exploit what really gets to them, and you, and you keep going. If you keep doing that, that's what's gonna happen. Right? You keep doing that, that's what's gonna happen. And you keep pushing at it, exploiting that fear. And you're supposed to do what? You use, it to your, you use it to your advantage, you use her fear to get what you want. You use her vulnerability to get what you want. And what you, would, and what you need to be doing is to protect and guard her against her fears. You're, you're not Jesus, right? You're not Jesus. But you're supposed to be hearing from God to live out Christ-likeness to her. And so your love should alleviate her fears, not exacerbate her fear. You honor your wife, who is the weaker vessel, by seeking to protect her from these things that causes her fear. I'm not saying like, you know, like you have to fight off dudes for her, right? I mean, if she's a fifth degree black belt, she don't need you, right? She don't need you. But what she needs is what? She needs to know that if anything happens, that you willing to take a bullet for her and the family, right? She, she, she cannot have this mentality like, if something goes on, I know for a fact my husband's gonna run, okay? That's fear, okay? That's, that's like 100% fear, like, like constantly afraid of like, you know, dangers coming into the home, why? Because I know that he's gonna run. That's fear, okay? You're supposed to alleviate that fear from her. You know, last night, even last night, I was sleeping, I was having a great day, the door slams shut, right? She wakes up, she's like, honey, the door naturally shut. I'm like, it's probably the wind. It's like, go check it out. I'm like, I'm sleeping, right? So I'm like, so I come out. I'm like walking around. Actually, it gets kind of scary out there too. But you know, right? I'm kind of scared too. Like, I'm like, so like I have to, I, I, always, I always do this. It's so rare. I have this one knife that I, I don't know what to do with it. I always grab it. I'm like walking around like, my house, right? You know, I was walking, I, was, I walked in, I do my little rounds, my first my living room, you know, then, you know, the, the family room, I have to turn on the lights, I'm just checking if anyone's hiding anywhere, and I check the, the doors if it's locked, you know, I walk into the, to the kitchen, and it, what freaked me out, actually, what freaked me out last night was this, I walked into the kids' room, 
And uh, it was dark, so I, I was like, I was checking what, because you know, the door is uh, kind of loose, so it, it does that little that, duh, duh, against the wall, right? So I was like, dang, what's scary? Open the door, kids are okay, and I looked in the background, right? And, and I, I didn't know the, the window was open, and like the, the breeze was fluttering the, the, the sheets, right? And I was like, who's behind the sheets, right? I was like, I was freaking out, you know? But I, I didn't want to say anything out loud, because I was thinking, if I, if I say anything out, she's going to freak out. So I, I, I walked over slowly, like, okay, nothing's happened. So I took a little, nice little long turn, and then she's like, Hey, where are you? Right? Where are you? What, what's taking you so long? It's like, I'm just, take, I'm just doing my rounds, right? I'm just doing my rounds. Like, I don't see you doing it, right? I'm just doing my rounds, you know? Look, protective of the weaker vessel does not mean that your wife or ladies, that you are somehow, like, unable to protect yourself. It just means, guys, you honor your wife when you give her this sense of security that if anything happens, you're not going to run. Right? A protection that feels like, you know what, if, if things go bad in the family, you're not going to be like her dad and bone out and leave the kids to her. Sense of security is, is to know that if by chance things go bad financially, you can do everything possible to help the family stay afloat, not just kind of put all the responsibility on her. Honor your wife by doing that. Honor your wife through... Um, understanding her, protecting her. And here's the thing. I'm going to give you guys a last huge list, okay, real fast, what it means to honor your wives, okay? Honor your wives. You, you are to call to honor her spiritually. Okay? I think I've talked about this before. You honor your wife spiritually. How do you, what does that mean? It means that you set the spiritual atmosphere in the home. You take the initiative to, to have the spiritual direction in the home. You are the one, you make sure prayer is happening in the home. Not just when you're eating, but that prayer is a rhythm of the life of your family. You are um, setting up, the, you're making sure that God's direction is leading your family. You're, that the word of God is what you're using to dictate, direct, and give advice and give wisdom to how things should be done. You are setting the spiritual atmosphere to the home. That's how you honor your wife spiritually. You don't honor your wife by your experience. You don't honor your wife through um, your, your, your personal ways of thinking. If you're single, what this means is you need to cultivate this rhythm of praying, of opening the Bible. You need to, you need to cultivate this. Oh, what's going to happen? You cannot turn this on overnight. You cannot just say, okay, I get it, and then all of a sudden get married. It's like, okay, now I'm going to read the Bible to It's not going to work, right? If you are not cultivating it now, it's going to be much harder to cultivate it later. It's not impossible, but much harder. Because right? she has to get over the fear of whether you're doing it for you or for the family. Or you're using the word to attack her or using the word to actually love her. If you're honoring the Lord, it makes it a lot easier for your wife to honor you. Because okay? you're in the word, you're praying. It sets a tone for your children. Your children follow the examples of their father way more than they follow the example of their mothers. Okay? Especially sons. If you have sons... If dad is not walking with Jesus, the statistic says that the son will not be walked with Jesus. You know why? Because the son will say, well, following Christ is not very masculine because dad's not doing it. So why should I do it? Right? And if you have daughters, you want to be the kind of man that your daughter wants to marry. Yes? Same with wife. You want to be the wife. You want to be the woman that your son wants to marry. But technically for dads, if you have daughters, you want to be the man, the type of man that your daughter wants to marry. If you look at yourself and you ask, would, would I want my daughter to marry me? The answer is, I don't know, 
you, you got some work to do, okay? You honor your wife spiritually. I mean, spiritually, and then you honor your wife emotionally. It's what I shared, showing empathy, not being so caught up with your hobbies and agenda that you don't have time to ask her how she's doing, what's going on in her life, how she's feeling, what's on her mind, what's her struggle. You honor your wife when you honor her emotionally. You ask her what's happening in her life. You honor your wife physically, being protective, making her feel safe, not exploiting her fears, not making her feel vulnerable, but you are in the habit of asking, how do I alleviate certain fears that she has? You honor your wife physically by engaging non-sexual physical, right? Let me tell you what that means. Some of you guys are like, what does that mean, right? You, you honor your wife physically, but not sexually, but, but non-sexually. There's a joke I read. A daughter asked her mother, mom, why did you want to have me? Mother replied, actually, I just wanted a massage, right? See, guys, we have this tendency, guys, we have this tendency that once touch is there, once physicality is there, we just want to go just touchdown, right? Once we have touch, we want touchdown, right? Sometimes honoring your wife physically just means, I just want a massage. I just want a neck rub. I just want a foot massage. You know, I just want you to scratch my head, right? I just want you to hold my hand. I just want you to sit next to me. That's really all she wants, right? But guys are like, hands, but then what? Right? Massage, but then what? That's not what she wants. Honor her physically also means not honor her physically by non-sexual touch. Honor her sexually. Be a faithful man. One woman, one, one woman man. Having her know that if ever you're around, you're not being flirty with other girls. You, know, you, you, you can't give the excuse, like, that's just who I am. I'm just very nice to everybody. She should not have that fear that if you're talking to someone that somehow... Like the girls are like, oh, so you know, like you're so awesome, and you're like she should not have that fear about you. She should know that when you're out, she shouldn't have to check in on you because she knows that you are going to be faithful to her, creating her a safe understanding that you are faithful unto her, whether you are with her or alone. Okay, don't be in environments that do things that make her question and doubt that. Honor her sexually. Honor her verbally. Watch your volume. Watch your tone. Watch your words. When you're saying things to her, don't use nicknames. Nicknames are cute when they're sweet, but nicknames are also not cute when they're not sweet, right? I mean, when I first married my wife, one of the things I always say that I didn't know that, was, that bothered her was that I called her a brat all the time. Right? We would fight, and she was like, I'm saying, you're such a brat. Right? I, I didn't think anything bad of it. I was like, that's what you are. I was just saying that's who you are, right? And then she was like, that hurts. I don't like that. And I was like, okay, fine, right? There are phrases and there are words that you use that are daggers, and when you pull out those things, they actually hurt. You may not think they hurt because if you use it against a guy, it's not a bad issue, but for some reason you're using it against your wife, it cuts a little bit deeper, right? And if you're thinking like, I'm just trying to toughen her up, words actually hurt. Words do hurt. Words have power to diminish, to hurt, to damage, right? Especially if she's been damaged mentally already, emotionally by her um, people in her lives, words will hurt. When you put, especially in the marriage context. Think about this. You might have said things to your wife that you'll probably kill a dude if you said it to your daughter. Right? You, you might have said things to your wife that you will probably kill the guy who would dare say that to your daughter. Change that, right? Honor her financially. Sometimes a guy would put all the financial weight on his wife. Not because they have a, an understanding, not because it's an issue, but because simply he's lazy. He's following his dreams. He's just trying to pursue his, his love. And in pursuing his dreams and his love, his wife pays all the bills. 
She takes care of all the utilities. She pays the rent. And when it comes to him, he's like, oh, I got gas money, right? He transferred that burden to his wife. You transfer your burden to your wife. And while outside, you're all generous because you're all your buddies. You buy them dinner. You do all these things. At home, your wife can't even feed the kids, right? The heater's not working. The air conditioner's not working. You're back on your rent. It's not honoring when you're hyper-control of your finances either, okay? There are men like this, guys like this, who just control everything. Their wife knows nothing about the bank account. Money's not yours, it belongs to God. So honor your wife financially. Honor your wife parentally. Be unified with your spouse, with your spouse towards your kids. You know, when, when, when there's a fight, it's like a war, right? Parents want to recruit the kids onto their side, right? And so what happens is usually sometimes parents, what they'll do is they'll fight with their wives or their spouse in front of their kids to say bad things about their spouse so that their, their kids will kind of take their side. It's like, you see, you see, you see, I told you, right? It's like, yeah, I saw it, daddy. I saw it, right? You know? That is not unified, okay? If mom says no, you can't say stuff like, oh, mom said no? I technically want to say yes, but you know how mom is, so we're just going to have to go with her, right? That's not unified. It's unified in the discipline, being involved in raising the kid, right? It's one of the things I love about Trisha, she's, that she has always given me the the, the reins to discipline the kids, right? Being able to uh, discipline Seth and Enoch without jumping in and stopping that, okay? Regardless of how she may feel about it, okay? She knows if dad's disciplining, you know, they look to her, of course, they look to her for safety or like, save me, mom, right? And then she's just like, no, good luck. I mean, she'll, she'll comfort them later, but like, in the middle of discipline, it doesn't happen, right? Unified in that. Not speaking ill of your, of, their spouse in front of, of your wife in front of your kids, okay? Lastly, honor her consistently. God is unchanging. He is consistent. He's the same yesterday and tomorrow. Don't be the kind of husband that your wife wakes up and have no idea what type of, what type of husband she's going to have that day. Don't be the type of father who's going to wake up and your kids are wondering, uh, what type of dad am I going to have today? Am I going to have happy dad or angry dad? Am I going to have a lazy dad or controlling dad? Am I going to have generous dad or stingy dad, right? You got to be consistent in the way you wake up each morning so that your wife knows exactly who you are instead of playing this guessing game that she has to walk on eggshells to figure out how to approach you, right? You act all differently, so she has to be chameleon, adapting every single day. It's, it's stressful, not only to her, but also to your kids, so you need to cultivate an attitude of consistency in your life. You guys get that? And here's my last final warning to dads, okay? It is this. It is, if you do not, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. I'm not saying this happens all the time. I'm not saying this happens a lot. But oftentimes, here's this. Your prayers are hindered before God because you have dishonored his daughter. Oftentimes, your relationship with your God is not as close or as real as it could be, leaving you bitter, leaving you upset because you have dishonored your, his daughter. Just take this, just do a mental um, uh, uh, thing here. Imagine you're a father and your daughter, okay? Daughter's boyfriend comes up to you, or a fiance, whatever, comes up to you, and he tells you this, I love your daughter, I want to honor her, I want to be better for her, I want to protect her, I need your help to do this. To do yada yada, right? What are you gonna say? Of course, let me help you. 
But imagine father, right? Your daughter's boy comes up to you. He's lazy. He's intimidating her. He's selfish. He doesn't know. He doesn't want to help her or change her or help her to help her or to change himself. Comes up to you and says, "Hey, I need your help with this." What are you gonna say? No, right? No, I'm not gonna help you. That's my daughter. You just dishonored. That's my daughter. You just intimidated. That's my daughter. You're not loving. Your prayers become hindered and. So often the case, why men have a hard time, they get bitter with God. They get upset with God. They feel distant from God. They're like, what is going on? Could, could it be? Part of it is because you've hindered, because you have, your, your prayers are hindered because you have dishonored his daughter. He's given you his treasure in marriage. Your job is to protect the treasure, to honor the treasure. Okay? That's a lot, yes? A lot of information. My prayer is this, okay? Single brothers, single sisters, cultivate that character. If you're married, you guys, your marriage starts today. Your legacy starts today. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait till the things are done. Don't wait till, like, you know, everything's kind of worked well with our kids and everything's in order. Then I'll start, you know, working through this process. It starts today. Work on your marriage. Fight for your marriage today. Grow today. Let's pray.